The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Have you noticed that no matter how hard you try to release attachments, heal traumas, and change your life, you still feel as if you don't belong? There is a reason and a solution for this. Join award-winning actor, comedian, and best-selling author Kyle Cease and learn how to immerse yourself in a new way of being at From Lonely to Free, a weekend workshop May 24th to 26th at Omega Institute in Rhinebeck, New York. Learn more at eomega.org thrive. You are listening to Rewritten with Cynthia Ocelli. Today I'm here with one of my favorite people, Erica Lee, and we are going to explore a subject that I am fascinated by and know so little about. Erica is a medium and an intuitive and an astrologer and so, so many things that I admire and I'm thrilled that she agreed to share a little bit of her magic with all of us. Hi, Erica. Thanks, Cynthia. I'm so honored to be here. You're one of my favorite people and goddesses, and I just love your work. So I'm really excited that you're interested in my work as well. Oh, gosh, I am so fascinated. And this is going to sound really like a a very entry-level interview because there's so much that I want to know about what you do. And there's so much that I want to give to anyone who's listening. So I want to jump right in and I would love for you to share with me just the, just a bit of who you are. Thank you, Cynthia. Well, I am someone who has been a natural intuitive medium since a very early age. I started having, you know, proof, so to speak, for lack of better terminology, of these gifts, even as early as before kindergarten. So it's something that kind of was never separate from me in a sense. Uh, I had like an urban environment in my childhood, um, but I was also raised by a village. So my aunt was very much a huge part of my parenting when I was a a child, um, which is relevant because when I started to talk to spirits and along with having premonitions and, and just being very intuitive about everything, she was someone that could help me navigate it and encourage my parents that it wasn't something scary or negative, you know? So I do feel fortunate in that regard and for many reasons. So my dad's parents passed when he was a teenager, long before I was born. But that is part of the story because when I was little, I would be seeing my grandparents in spirit in our house. And I'd see them both in the house, like my parents' marital home, as well as the house where my aunt lived. And that was the same house where they had lived when they had passed. And so I would see them and I'd be like, oh, grandma's here. And my parents thought it was my imaginary friend, as you do. I would, you know, it makes total sense that they would think that, not having these experiences. Until one day I had said like, oh, grandma's here and she has the rolling pin with water in it. Now, Cynthia, full disclosure, I'm not much of a cook. So I have never before or since, I still have yet to see a rolling pin that has water in it. But my chef friends have told me that that actually is a thing. You can put water in to affect the weight of the rolling pin or so it's cold and like dough doesn't stick, et cetera, et cetera. And this grandmother, she was a chef before she got married. And 
even more interesting is that my dad actually was aware of this rolling pin. He had this rolling pin that she had that had water in it. So that was the point at which when I was saying like, oh, grandma's here. And they'd be like, oh, that's nice, honey, your imaginary friend. And I was like, oh, but she has a rolling pin with water in it. They were like, oh, like something's going on here, you know? And so through, it's always been a part of my life. Um, and you know, when you're that age, like four or five, six, you think everything's normal. Like you don't have a big frame of reference for what you're doing versus what other kids are doing. So when I did go to kindergarten, I told one of my classmates that her grandmother was so excited. She got, she liked this glow worm that she got for Christmas and glow worms were the thing when I was that age. And the girl started to cry because her grandmother did get her glow worm for Christmas, but she unexpectedly passed away before Christmas. So, but at that age, I was like, oh yeah, of course I'm going to tell you your grandmother is so happy you love the glow worm because you don't, you don't have those social filters yet, you know? So as time went on, I realized how it was kind of not really a mainstream thing. So I tried to suppress it a lot, but it would always come to the fore in times of crisis or necessity that later in, well, later in life, when I was like in my mid-teens, I started, I started to really harness it and cultivate it. So it's always been there. Um, but from about 15, 16 onward, I really started working with it and working with it with the public in my teens as well. It's always kind of been, it's always kind of been there. Wow. Okay. So before we move on, just to go back to ask you some of the questions that I've always wanted to ask. And I think, I think everyone else must have these same questions too. It's just, we're not, you know, we're not comfortable just to sit up and say, you know, what does this actually mean? When you say as a child that you saw them and you saw the rolling pin, is that like the way that I see you or I see someone else in the world? Do you literally see them in life size in in color or grayed out or transparent or solid like like what's it like the way that you and i see each other right is kind of like objectively seeing or like you know seeing someone outside of ourselves and so i do see them in that way as if they're outside of ourselves but they're not quite as opaque or as um I guess three-dimensional or dense looking as we might be, they do, you know, they're not grayed out or they don't look like Casper in the sense of being all white or just like clear outlines. They do have color and, you know, skin tone and things like this, but it's just like quite a bit fainter. It doesn't look like something that you could touch per se. And um, one thing too, one of the ways when I was a kid that I would differentiate, um, you know, if someone was like, Either if someone was in spirit coming to talk to me, or if I was getting a message about someone who was here with us, like still alive, like an intuitive psychic thing, was that people in spirit didn't you'd show me their legs and feet. So they often appear, but it's kind of like I would say from like the thighs up, or you might see them in pants or a dress, but it's not, you know, they kind of can be suspended in air in that very stereotypical way that, you know, pop culture shows us that definitely can apply. Or even if they're kind of like life size height, they do that fade out does start to start like like around the knees. Wow. Okay. So are they always wearing the same thing? Are they always the same age? Can someone can someone come in and see you and them be different ages at different times? Is it what you would know? Like how how does that work? Yeah, that's a great question too. So when they come through, it's not uncommon. Well, two things. It's not uncommon for them to come through appearing 
how they did as they passed in the sense of like at the age of when they passed. But then the other alternative is sometimes they'll come through at an age that they really loved or like a time in their life that was a high time for them. And sometimes they'll come through at an age when you would have known them the best or when they would have come into your life. Typically, it's the first two, either the age they were at passing or the age that is the most significant and joyful for them. So they'll show themselves in either of those ways. There are times when they'll show themselves in a way that's relevant for the person. So for example, like sometimes I may have somebody appear in like a nursing kind of costume or outfit. I know today like nursing is like scrubs, but you know, more stereotypical nursing outfit, not because they necessarily ever wore that, but because they knew this person from their nursing career for example. So sometimes they will show that to be, to indicate the relationship on the timeline. Um, but more often it's either their age at passing or it's the age that they favored the most. Okay. And they communicate with you. Is that audible? That's words that you hear? Often it is words that I hear. And at times it's words, you can hear words like the way you and I hear each other talking, like outside of you. Um, but also you can hear words in such a way that it's almost like um, your inner monologue, sort of. Like how you can hear your own voice in your head. And it may be their voice, but in the sense of like almost as if I'm hearing it in my head. Um, and also, too, they can communicate through like at times like I'll see a word spelled out. So sometimes like I may hear a name and if I don't say it right away and they want to emphasize it, I'll see the name spelled out. So it can be both visual. It can be like um, auditory. Um, for me, um, it tends to be like I either hear things or I just know things. And a lot of people are like, what do you mean you just know? But it's like. Okay, for example, my brother's name is Bill. And at this point in my life, I just know that. Like, I don't have to think about it. I'm not feeling what his name is. You know, I don't have to figure it out. So I either know, hear, or see, typically. Um, there are times where I might get a feeling of something. A lot of mediums, like, might feel the communication. Um, so there's multiple ways. And one thing that I find interesting is that not only depends on the medium, but it also depends on the person coming through from spirit. So I did have a gentleman coming through from spirit and he was giving me a knowing of certain things, but he wasn't talking really at all. And I'm like, why is this guy not talking to me? But then it turns out that he was very quiet and he was a man of few words. And also after a certain severance in a relationship, there was no communication. So it's like at times they'll communicate by not communicating in the verbal sense too. Okay. So you have this as a child. It's normal for you. And then you become a teenager and you're, you've been repressing it and you're learning how not to scare the world. And then you start to develop it and try to become conscious and co-create with it or co-work with it. So what was that like when you're a teenager at that time and you're expanding these gifts? That's a great question, Cynthia. Well, one thing I will say is I feel it was helpful for me that I was in hindsight, being where I am now, you know, and as they say, I am here because I was there. In hindsight, it was good that I wasn't completely successful at repressing it because I think that made it so much easier to come back. You know, I did push it away so much for so many years that when I did decide to harness and cultivate it in my later teens, after so many years of being like, go away, I was like, come back, you know. And so, but the thing that's interesting is like, for example, when my aunt, I was 14 and I had an aunt who passed and I knew that, you know, the day before and the night before that she was going to pass the next day. And she did. 
and I had said that to my family. So things like this still happened. And I think that made it easier to stay linked with it because it never fully went away. Um, but another catalyst when I was 18 specifically, so I started really taking workshops and reading books when I was like 14, 15, 16, but I really kind of kept it private to myself. And it was just like kind of an interest or a fun thing. Then when I was 18, my aunt, so the same one that I was talking about who, you know, helped raise me as a child and lived in the house where my grandparents lived. So she passed. And that was like a very traumatic experience for me because we were so close. And that was a time at which I really dove into it even more, even from my own, like from my own healing, right? And that was when I really started to cultivate it even deeper and share it with the world because I felt that if this helps people so much and it helps me, and it's something that's like, for lack of a better word, relatively easy for me, like, why wouldn't I like put it out there and answer it, you know? Mm-hmm. So when these, when people are, you, you say it as coming through, do you just walk down the street and people try to come through at you all everywhere you go? Well, um, actually, fortunately, not that much. It has happened. Like I remember there was a day, I think I overworked with readings the day before, not sure quite the catalyst, but I was in the supermarket and it was like, I was hearing all the dead people for all the people in the supermarket. And I was like, okay, well, this cannot be a thing because it's something in a body that is just like overkill too much. So gratefully, no, uh, if anything, I feel when I'm in a crowd, it's like less prevalent in some ways because there's so much energy, but what one thing that does happen that kind of relates to your question is sometimes I'll be driving and particularly if I'm like on the highway or if I'm like driving fast down a road that like, you know, doesn't have a lot of traffic or stoplights, I'll see people walking on the side of the road. And initially I think they're just regular living pedestrians until I make a double take and then they're not, they're people in spirit. So it does happen that they'll come through, so to speak, even in times when I'm not doing readings, um, but fortunately not that often. And one of the reasons my theories for that is because I try really hard to maintain that boundary and because they know that I'm actively working with them there isn't as much of an urgency for them to come through at random. Mm-hmm. So they come to you, they, they've, they're led to you, however they're led to you. And they come and they're asking you to be the intermediary between this realm, the material realm and the spirit realm to contact someone specific or anyone or like what's caught, what, what usually happens? Yeah, great question. So They'll come and a lot of times it's like, it can be a combination of things. And like my style is very spontaneous and organic because it's my philosophy that, you know, if we're true to our nature, then we can, we function the strongest, right? So oftentimes when people come, they receive like a bit of a mix or a blend of both messages and contacts from loved ones in the spirit world, as well as intuitive information and messages around their life and connected to their life. And it's amazing how much information we can get connecting with the spirit world in that regard. I've even had, you know, like, it's amazing, like what people have reported as a result of their sessions. And so oftentimes people will come. So there's three things that I say are the top reasons that people connect. Okay. Grief, growth, and guidance. Okay. So many times people will come because they are grieving someone who's passed and they hope to connect with them. And it's quite interesting because we never know who's going to come through. And unfortunately, at 
this stage of our awareness, it's not always guaranteed to be 1-800-DIAL-THE-DEAD. I would love that it would be because then I, you know, could channel Einstein for a cure for cancer, things like this. But the interesting thing is you'll find a lot of mediums encourage people not to ask for a certain person. Um, but the interesting thing is I find that it's common. It's more often than not, if we're asking for someone specific, that they will come and show up, okay? So typically what happens is like people will come and I'll tell them who's there. And that in addition, if there's somebody specific that they're looking to connect with and, and that person does not spontaneously arrive, we can attempt to connect to them. And so while we can't guarantee you will come through, there's no harm in like putting up our antenna and trying to like send up a signal for someone in particular. Now, the interesting thing is sometimes people that come through are people we don't expect. So it could be somebody that you went to high school with or someone that like, you know, a grandfather that passed away before you were even born. And one thing I often find Find is that it's not unusual if the person that we want and expect isn't the first person to come through because oftentimes like someone else will open the door I call them my door openers and my icebreakers and that you know get the energy flowing and then the person that's desired will feel like confident to connect but by the same token sometimes the person that you're expecting is the first one to show up right away so it's kind of that's one of the the interesting and fun things is it's, it's a little different every time, but it's very, it's very cool what people share. And one thing I like is a lot of people ask me, like I had a client yesterday and they're like, do people come back and how often can I come back? And I always tell people to like trust their own knowing and intuition. It's a good idea unless you're in very deep grief to give it some parameter of time just to like let all the information settle and integrate, you know, get more insights from it. But even if you, have, you come back and the same person comes through, they often have more and different things to share because if you think about it, Cynthia... Just you and I alone have had so many different experiences. There's no way to cover them all in an hour. So there's mm -hmm. definitely people come for that reason. They also come to get guidance about their life. And they also come because they have a lot of intuitive gifts and they're going through a lot of personal development. So they want to be aided in opening that and cultivating it. So those are like the three, the three main things. So in the larger context of the spirit world, what can you say about that world like you your grandparents were in two different houses are they unbounded by time and space and location and um what's it like in the, in the in the spirit world what have you gleaned from communing with or or receiving messages from from people on the other side have you noticed that no matter how hard you try to release attachments, heal traumas, and change your life, you still feel as if you don't belong? There is a reason and a solution for this. Join award-winning actor, comedian, and best-selling author Kyle Cease and learn how to immerse yourself in a new way of being at From Lonely to Free, a weekend workshop May 24th to 26th at Omega Institute in Rhinebeck, New York. Learn more at eomega.org thrive. So I love that you asked that, Cynthia. You always ask the best questions. <laughs> and, well, so it's great that you ask because I like how you said how like my grandparents were visiting me in both houses. And that just proves what you had asked in your question of if they're unbound and they are unbound. And so it's like they can be with us anywhere and everywhere. And oftentimes it comes through in readings that 
they're one thing that they like about being in spirit of many things that they're excited about is they feel that they can be with us even more because there isn't that like spatial geographical separation anymore. And that we have a perception of a physical separation because their body isn't here and we're in the physical world, but because they can be anywhere they want at any time, they are not limited by that. And that's like an interesting thing too, to keep in mind when people ask me about hauntings, it's never a case of someone being stuck or trapped in a place. It's more about there's, you know, they have a preference to be there or there's something they're trying to work out. And that you can see that in people's lives, you know, like if I have my favorite, I have my favorite spots, like our places I'm a regular. So, you know, why wouldn't I visit from spirit if I was bored or I wanted to? And then on the other hand, it's like there's some places you might go to because, you know, you love going there when you were living and you feel healed by going. And then there's some places in your life where you might feel a bit stuck. So even if they have a perception of stuckness or they choose to go somewhere where there's like a repetitive energetic pattern, it doesn't mean that they're stuck. So that's actually something really interesting that comes through a lot. And that's one of the reasons why. It's not necessary to be in person with the medium for a reading, because if you think about it, like spirit doesn't have a body. So we don't need to be in our bodies in the same room to connect. Wow. I was, that was exactly my next question was about being stuck, uh, haunting, not being able to get out of your house or your body or your situation. I have a dear client who's gone through a really hard loss lately uh, recently, and she asked if I thought that it's possible for someone to be locked into the box they were buried in and confined and stuck and unable to get out. And of course, my based on my beliefs, I, I was thinking, no, there's the soul's not there and the body is inanimate now, and they're not. But it's really good to hear it with such an explanation around it and an understanding of how they can just be non local. Non local, right? exactly, exactly. Yeah. Okay. So that makes me think, what about reincarnation? Do we have, does life, are there multiple lives? Is it just the spirit came, they were one and done, and now they're just walking around in their ethers, you know, looking backward in time. Like, what have you gleaned about that? Such a juicy question. And I, I know uh, because I feel that, you know, in, um, you know, my perception of it is like a little bit controversial because I've definitely like I've been trained in in doing past life regressions and Akashic readings and and I've been fascinated by get by having those experiences for myself. Um, so it's very interesting because I'll tell you what. So my philosophy is that I believe there's a part of us that's connected with the spirit world at all times or the quanta or the fields. You know, there's a non-local part of us that's always operating outside of us. And there's a lot of research to suggest that now, like memory is non-local, you know, and there's, so there's always that part of us that is operating non-locally. So that even if we are to go into, let's say a different incarnation, mediums or even ourselves as mediums, like even if it's an individual, say, for example, if your mother passed and you're curious, like, can I go to a medium to connect to her? Or is she, you know, living in the future already reincarnated? That's a great question. But the thing of it is, whether she is or she isn't reincarnated, there's an aspect of her consciousness that can always communicate because there's an aspect of all of us that's non-local. And the other piece with reincarnation is, I'm not entirely convinced from all of my work that time outside of this 
like, you know, our perception of reality, right? So our consensus reality, like you and I agree that we're here um, recording this together now and having this conversation. And so we're in this reality right now, right? I'm not entirely convinced that all time is not happening now. So who's to say, like, say if I had a past life, um, you know, it's funny, Cynthia, because several people have told me I have a past life in royal, different royal courts. And on the one hand, part of me is like, well, I'm sure everybody did because those courts are huge. Um, and maybe they say that to every person. But then again, of course, like, you know, I'm very much a chess setter that has great taste, very Venusian. So why not? But my point is, in saying all that is like, okay, say I was, you know, in the French court of like King Louis XIV. Well, you know, it's not as linear as our perception of it. So there may be an aspect of me that is there now. Yeah, that would make sense. And if we're, again, if you can be in all places at all times, and I know that there are uh, quantum scientists doing particle studies where they can uh, change something in one far distant place and have it mirror that exact change in another place. What's clear, because I cannot interpret all that uh, research, but what it, what's clear from it is that the way we see things is not the way they are. That I can say. Exactly. With I love that, Cynthia. That's a great, that's a very succinct way to sum it up because it's totally accurate in all of my experience and research. Okay. Now that we are sort of talking about the, the you know, life in the spirit world as though our life is the big life and theirs is the offshoot when it's probably the reverse. Their life is probably the big life and ours is the offshoot. Um, when people come through, okay, so I know I work with a lot of clients with a lot of challenging human issues. So there are interpersonal conflicts, there are unresolved issues, there were fights and there are regrets and there are tragedies and traumas in this realm, in this life experience. And that is a motivator for a lot of people to come and ask, you know, can I, can, can I connect with this person? When we in our human form, swimming in all of our emotion and all of our traumatic response, connect with someone who's passed and transitioned and they're back in the spirit realm, are they concerned with those, those human uh, challenges and problems anymore? Do they come through and pick up where they left off? What's that like? Well, the, the short answer is no. Okay. So, and one thing that, that is proof of that to me is that it's not uncommon for spirit to come through and be like, you need a vacation, you know? And it's like, oh, that's great. You know, for some of my clients they are like, okay, dad, like, why don't I just like, you know, quit my job and travel the world? So it's like, they, again, like they're not limited by the body. And if you think about that by being non-local unlimited, like they don't have bills to pay or jobs to do. So there aren't any, you know, because they've, you know, outlasted and outlived the physical body, we'll say, there aren't those things that I will call or consider survival issues for one thing. And so that relieves a lot of stress. And also, if you think about it, so there's kind of two types of feeling. I mean, I'm sure if we were going to get granular, Cynthia, there'd be multitudinous types. But it's like there's physical sensation and there's emotional sensation or feeling or emotional emotive perception. So our emotions are somewhat an extension of that, okay? So it's like, 
even if you, you know, we might be having a feeling like sadness or anger and not feel it in the body, or maybe having a feeling in the body like, oh, I have a migraine, something like this, and not be having an emotional response. They're both feeling, okay? And so one thing I notice is that when people are not in the body, it's not that they don't have feelings at all, but it's more that they have this feeling of like freedom, love, healing, bliss, because there's nothing, there aren't any emotions, there aren't any pain, okay? So it's like they're freed up of all of those trappings, so a lot of the things don't linger. An interesting thing, however, is it's not uncommon for spirit to say like, oh, I learned this since passing, or I see things differently. And a lot of that's because like when we, we lose all this density, when we lose our physical form, so that things that might have been a real challenge to let go of when we were here are, are no longer even a thing. So while people retain aspects of their personality, they share more of these details as a way to verify that it's them coming through to connect. And they're not really, they're not limited in the same way we are here in, in those type of ways as well. Mm-hmm. Have they informed your view or given you any insights on what the purpose of life is, what we're here to do, what we should be doing. I know that I've had spirit share that, but it hasn't really come through as a big theme. Okay. Mm -hmm. And the reason for that, my, you know, my suspicions of why that is, is that, you know, we all have individual purpose. But one thing that is a big theme is they're saying like, go on vacation, go to the beach because you love the beach, you know, things like this, like make time to do the things that are going to enhance you, whether it's emotionally or physically, make time for those things. And they say too, it's like, you know, not to be hard on yourself. So it's like, you know, they might say like, okay, like go for a walk, you know, get physically fit, but they'll say like, okay, if you go for a walk for 10 minutes, three days a week, like that's enough because you're making that effort and you're doing that. So Part of the purpose is for us to be able to leverage matter so that we can, you know, gain this gratification to have a good experience here. So part of our purpose is just like, you know, the way that nature exists, like we are a part of nature. So part of what we're here to do is to enjoy the experience. And sometimes we have challenges in our lives. And I am not of the philosophy that everything happens for a reason per se, but sometimes we have challenges you know, being having the limitations that we have is a part of part of the deal, and that overcoming those can give us some growth, some healing, and lead us into this more blissful, free, free state of being, which is more similar to spirit anyway. Now, a lot of them will say, like, oh, you know, like they're big fans, I would say, or it's a theme to, you know, like um that relationships are important, connections, you know, and that both in the sense of like, when when people go to spirit, they're not mad that you don't call them or not. Like it's that's more our regret and guilt. They don't have any of those feelings, but they know what brings us joy. And a lot of that is like what I was just talking about doing the things that we enjoy, but also like being in communion with the people that we love and enjoy being with. So a big part of universal purpose is not just to have like an enjoyable life universally for everyone, but to prioritize connections and they can be simple connections like just making eye contact with the barista at Starbucks and asking how their day is or, you know, family or your besties, but definitely like part of the purpose is connection and just enjoying the experience. 
also they're they're overwhelmingly positive. And and to sort of echo what you've already answered, I I think this is a persistent idea. We fear that we're going to connect with someone and they're going to be tortured. And that's not the experience. Yes, yes. Or people often fear that someone's going to, you know, I'm sure it's for many different specific reasons, but many people have told me they're like, oh, they don't want to read in because they don't want someone to come from the dead and say, you did this to me, or Mm -hmm. what are you doing with your life? And, you know, I can understand that with, you know, a lot of our like cultural religious conditioning and, and things like that, how that, you know, maybe a valid fear, but the reality is like nobody ever, like I have never, and I'm somebody that's technically been doing this since the eighties. Okay. I have never had someone come through and be like, you shouldn't have done that. Or, Hey, you, you know, you idiot. What are you thinking? More often, <laughs> if they were the type to talk to you like that in this life, they'll apologize for that. Or they'll say the opposite thing. They'll be like, you know, I'm very proud and you're doing an amazing job. And I learned a lot from you instead of scolding. And so there are those fears as well that people don't know what someone's going to say. But it's never something that is spiteful or mean or hurtful or reinforces any kind of you know, bad patterning that we've adopted over time. Oh, that's, that's so good to know. Are you this special, unique, superhuman medium that has these skills that we don't have? Or does everyone have the ability to communicate with people on the other side to become more intuitive? Can, is this something anyone can do? Or is this only the special few who get this, this gift? So, Cynthia, I'm so excited you asked that because um, one of my specialties is training people in both like intuition or psychicism and mediumship. Everybody has the capacity to connect um, with, you know, spirit, with with intuition or psychicism or, or information that they, you know, attain by non-physical, non-tangible, non-conventional means. Right. So everybody has this ability. It's actually part of our evolution. Right. And so and it's kind of interesting, the patterns of that, like there was a time um, before all this technology where, you know, there was a time when people were, were more psychic. And then that kind of started to decrease with some of the industrial revolution, telegraphs, phones that's flipping and people are becoming more psychic again because we do have all the information all the time. So it's very interesting to see those patterns of evolution. But in any case, the point being, everybody has these gifts. It's more a matter of to what extent you cultivate them and what extent of natural talent you have. So one metaphor that I like to use that I get away with as a New Englander is that, you know, anybody, ableism aside, but for the vast majority of us, anybody can throw or kick up a ball, one or the other. But, you know, not everybody is going to be Tom Brady. That's just the way it is. But there's a whole spectrum in between them. And so everybody has some ability and everybody can grow that ability. So it's definitely something native. And it's a little controversial in my industry that I do believe everyone can be a medium. There's a pretty famous, not famous, but like in, in my industry, like shop talk, there's a phrase that all mediums are psychic and not all psychics are mediums. And what's interesting is I never believe that. And then I met someone who's a very world-renowned, um, very successful, very public psychic intuitive. And like, they're, they're definitely not a medium. So then I was like, okay, maybe that is true. Maybe there is some truth to that. But what I've arrived at is that's only true 
if we don't consider the context of our own loved ones, because definitely everyone's a medium for the people that they have a personal connection with, because you're an expert in the people that you love. So you're more receptive to them anyway. And because they have such a connection to you, they're more likely to be around you and ping you. Now, when you ask if I'm the supernatural freak of nature, I mean, kind of, yes, is the short answer. Because <laughs> even when I was doing this, you know, for strangers around the world as a teenager, I think I was 28. It took me till my late 20s to have like a mind blown aha moment. Like I finally realized that not everybody knew how to talk to their own dead people. I thought everybody could talk to their loved ones in spirit. I thought I was weird because I could talk to strangers' loved ones. Like, I literally did not know that people could lose someone and not be able to talk to them anymore. I just assumed that that was, like, the thing, you know? And so, of course, coming from that, like, ideology and background, I still, though, really believe that even if someone listening or anyone who comes to me as a client they feel that they fall among that contingent that can't connect with their loved ones in spirit. That's not really true. It might be true for them right now, but it's only because they haven't unfolded and uncovered those gifts and harnessed them. So everybody definitely has these gifts. It just depends if you're going to, are you going to play, you know, flag football, you know, when you're 10 or are you going to become Tom Brady? We don't know that, but you would definitely have to train if you wanted to become Tom Brady, but you can learn no matter what. Okay. So for people who come to you and want to learn and grow this as a, a life skill, because it's not just mediumship, you you have intuition that blossoms as well. So it becomes a real life skill. What does it look like to train with you? So one thing that is unique or you know unusual about training with me is my philosophy is to cultivate your natural gifts and play to those strengths. So as opposed to like imposing a framework on students, I see what their individual skill sets are. And, and so we work first with teasing out of you what's native. And so for anyone listening, one little tip I can give you that you can implement today is that one thing that I often find is a theme or like a repetitive thing I see in my students and my clients that coach with me is oftentimes our native gifts in our everyday senses, our psychic gifts will be kind of an amplification or reflection of that. So for example, if you're incredibly visual, your psychic sight will probably be a strong suit for you, okay? If you're somebody that's like very like kinesthetic, sensual, it's like you'll, you know, you'll probably be able to feel a lot of things. So just as an example. So, and if you don't really know what that is, because a lot of us can lose touch with like, you know, how we are in the busyness of every day. If you think back to when you were a child, you know, was it easier for you to learn through listening or through writing? Or was it easier, you know, were you more of an artist or were you more a builder with Legos? Like this will give you information about what your native strength is in your everyday life and with our normal five senses. And then you can kind of go from there and use that to build. So if you don't even know what your strengths are. Think about what your strengths are in the literal sense every day and just go from there. So you will spend the time helping helping each person identify their path, their strength. So I'm excited for everyone who got to listen to this. And I would love for you to share where you can be found. 
Oh, thank you, Cynthia. So I can be found. I'm launching a new website. Um, it's ericaleemedium.com. Um, so stay tuned for that. My current website is live, but I'm excited to be launching a new one. Um, you can also reach me on Instagram at ericaleemedium. And you can email me as well at ericaleemedium at gmail.com. And so I'm excited to hear from anybody who would love to connect. And I'm always around for any questions. I love talking about spirit, energy, the fields, the observer effect. Tell me, well, first, before I ask you this, uh, I I just want to add on that Erica has a lot of imitators and they copy your pages and they reach out to people and they offer readings. And that's not you. You do not solicit you. People come to you if anyone gets any contact by you or I just want to say this on my own behalf by anybody else saying, I saw you and got energy. And now I know if I, if you give me X amount of dollars, you are going to get a reading. Um, that's not, that's not clean. Uh, Erica would never reach out to you and all the people who I think are great coaches and otherwise just don't do that. I'm so glad you brought that up, Cynthia, because I've had over 60 Instagram imposters and I've had people reach out and I had actually someone who paid an imposter um, because they were a follower on Instagram and an imposter reached out to send them a message and said exactly sort of the script that you're saying, like, oh, I was drawn to you and your ancestors want you to have a reading. And this person paid for the reading. And part of the reason that they were receptive to that, maybe potentially more so than normal, was because they had just lost they had unexpectedly a family member had just passed the day before. So, you know, they were kind of in this state where they're thinking, you know, it's me and that I'm feeling like they need a reading and they're thinking, oh, you know, my loved one just passed. So I just, I'm so glad you brought that up because it's really important to make sure it's at ericaleemedium.com. I never will email you or message you or call you on the phone or send you. I, there's no, I never reach out to say, can I give your reading for pay? Like that's not a dumb thing um, for me or for any practitioner of merit in my mind. So if anyone does that, not only is it not me, but I would be very, very leery. It happens to me. Mm, at least weekly, that somebody clones your entire setup and then changes a letter in your name and reaches out to me. I'm so wise to it now, but I just don't know how to how to stop it from happening. So I think this is how we talk about it, right? Yes, exactly. Thank you, Cynthia. Well, I want to thank you. This has been so educational, informative, inspiring, enlightening, and boy, has it taken some pressure off. This will be good for all of us. And I hope you'll come back and maybe we can pick you know, a piece of the giant energetic pie that you have mastered and uh, continue. Well, I would love that, Cynthia. It'd be my honor. Thank you so much for having me. As you know, I'm a huge fan of yours. So I was really excited to be here with you. And thanks for letting me talk a little bit more about energy and spirit and the unseen world and all these other things. So I'm very grateful. I want to thank everyone for tuning in and being a part of this beautiful experience with my beautiful, wonderful goddess friend, Erica Lee. And I hope you will tune in when we do this again. Have a beautiful week, everybody. Bye, everyone.
I'm Suzanne Giesman, and if you've ever wondered about life after death or if it's possible to connect with a higher consciousness, I invite you to join me for my podcast, Messages of Hope. It's my mission to share with you that our loved ones who have passed are always with us and we are so very loved. I want to teach you how to live a consciously connected and divinely guided life. Listen here on the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network.